2: That's chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. DTW, group. void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.
2: Explicit content is found in this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club podcast. I'm your host, Lainey. Money brings out the worst in many of us, even family members. As we've seen before, sons have even killed their parents for money. But rarely is a murder so meticulously planned out as the one we discussed this week. Okay, on to the show. In 2016, Joel Guy Jr. lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Joel was unemployed and was being financially supported by his parents, Joel Guy Sr., or Mike as his family called him, and his mother, Lisa Guy. His parents lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, but Thanksgiving of that year was set to be the last in their home, as they had recently sold it and were moving to Surgeonsville, Tennessee. Mike had been laid off from his job and they were moving into his deceased mother's home. After nine years of supporting their son, Mike and Lisa were planning on telling him over Thanksgiving that he would have to make it on his own. Joel Jr. had driven up from Baton Rouge before Thanksgiving. The family, including Joel's three adult sisters, celebrated Thanksgiving eating dinner and looking forward to Christmas in their new home. His sisters left, but Joel remained for the weekend. Mike and Lisa were seen on Friday when they took their boat to a relative's house. Joel Jr. returned to Baton Rouge on Sunday, November 27th, 2016. On Monday, November 28th, Jacobs Engineering in Oak Ridge contacted the Knox County Sheriff's Department to report a welfare concern because Lisa had not shown up for work, nor has she called in. A patrol deputy drove by the house but did not observe anything suspicious from the road. Lisa's employer was not happy with this response, so someone called the Major Crimes Unit, They explained to the officers that Lisa had a meeting scheduled that day, and she would not miss it without calling someone. An officer looked in the windows, and he saw signs of a struggle. When the officers entered the home, they found a gruesome crime scene. There was blood spatter in many areas of the home, and the bodies of Mike and Lisa were found spread across many rooms of the home. Mike's severed hands were found on the floor of the bedroom, The torsos of Mike and Lisa were both found in plastic containers in one of the bathrooms. The torsos were in a solution of peroxide, bleach, acid, and rubbing alcohol, presumably in an attempt to melt the bodies. Most horrifically of all was the discovery of Lisa's head in a huge stockpot on the stove. Vast amounts of evidence were collected from the house, including two wallets that were on the kitchen table. The wallets belonged to Mike and Lisa. The chemicals used in the plastic containers were found with towels and trash bags. Most damning was a notebook in Joel Jr.'s room. The notebook contained written plans for murdering the older guys and also had details about their finances and who would inherit. The written plan included kill him with the knife, clean up the mess from him before she gets home. The next step was to kill her with a knife then place her in the shower and turn on hot water and point at her to get rid of forensics. The instructions became even more detailed. Cut off his arm and plant flesh under her fingernails. Use sodium hydroxide to destroy his soft tissue and soften bones for transport. Baste once every hour to accelerate. The instructions then spell out how to clean the crime scene and to turn the heat up to 90 degrees Fahrenheit to speed up decomposition and melt fingerprints. The author of the notebook had explored options such as setting the house ablaze or flooding it to destroy forensic evidence. There was a note to send a text from her phone to me late Sunday to prove she was still alive. Other pages detailed the assets held by Mike and Lisa. One note said Lisa had $500,000, which would be all mine. There were also additional instructions such as flush chunks down the toilet, not garbage disposal. There were also instructions to bring a blender and a meat grinder. Mike had been stabbed 42 times, severing some of his ribs and puncturing his lungs, kidneys, and liver. His hands had been removed at the wrists and his arms had been removed at the shoulders. His legs were removed at the hips and one ankle had been removed at the joint. Mike had many defensive wounds which indicated he had fought for his life. Mike was hit so forcibly in the shoulder by a blunt force weapon that the weapon splintered off and a piece of it was found in his muscles. After he was murdered, he was undressed and his clothes were left lying on the floor. His blood-stained cigarettes were left on top. Lisa was stabbed 31 times, so ferociously that nine of her ribs were severed. Her legs were removed at the knees and her arms were removed at the shoulders. Her clothing was also cut off. After she was dismembered, her head was severed and put in a large stock pot. The pot was filled with liquid and placed on the stove with the lid. The stove was turned on and the pot left simmering. Police arrested Joel Guy Jr. in Baton Rouge on November 29th. He was soon extradited to Tennessee to await arraignment. He was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, which later expanded to charges of theft and abuse of a corpse. Due to the caustic chemicals used on the remains, it was hard to definitively point to the time of death. But based on receipts and security footage, investigators believe Lisa was murdered between 12.18 p.m. and 3.35 p.m. on November 26. Lisa had been to Walmart and purchased groceries, checking out at 12.18. Joel was seen in Walmart at 3.35 p.m. and he had wounds on his hands. He was purchasing self-care items, apparently to take care of his wounds. Family members said it was odd for Lisa to enter the house through the front door because she usually entered through the garage and walked into the kitchen. However, the groceries were found scattered in the foyer, indicating she probably came in the front door. Mike's sister, Renee Charles, said Mike and Lisa were not expecting Joel to come home for Thanksgiving, so said they were going to tell him over Christmas he was no longer supported by them. He was planning on coming home for Christmas. Mike's oldest daughter, Michelle, testified that she saw her parents on October 28th and they had told Joel to start looking for a job. She said that Thanksgiving was somewhat tense because they had told him they would no longer be footing the bill. One of their daughters said Lisa only worked to support Joel. Defense attorneys argued that these comments about Joel being cut off financially were hearsay and had no relevance. However, Judge Sword said some of them were relevant and pointed to motive. Lisa's supervisor said Lisa was planning on retiring on December 2nd, 2016, so her and Mike could move. She was looking forward to retirement, Lisa had talked to her boss about their issues with Joel and told her they were planning on cutting him off after retirement. This supervisor was the one who contacted the Knox County Sheriff's Department when Lisa did not arrive to work on November 28, 2016. She testified that when Lisa did not show up to work that morning, she began texting her and then resorted to making phone calls. She even called and texted Mike's phone. Around 9.30 a.m., she called the non-emergency sheriff's department line to report a welfare concern. As the audio of this phone call began playing during the trial, Joel began smiling and almost laughed.
3: One. On Monday, November 28, 2016, at 9.30 a.m., with a GMT offset of negative 300 minutes. Agent IV, extension is 203. 203- not for police communication. Uh, yes, I have an employee that um, has not reported for work today and highly unlike her. I've tried calling her home number. I've tried calling her cell phone and can't get a hold of her. What can we do about that? Can somebody go by and check on them? Yeah, do you know her address? I do. I do. 25. it? It is 11434 Golden. View Lane. Okay. And what is your name, ma'am? My name is Jennifer Whited, W-H-I-T-E-D. And what company are you with? Jacobs Engineering. And what's the good call for you guys? It is 865-216-6625. Lisa Guy, G-U-Y. Her husband's name is Joel, J-O-E-L. Should he be there too? Does he live with her? Yes, he does. Okay. And they do have a, a dog named Jake. I think he's a big baby. in her I think late 50s. Do you know if she has any medical issues? No, I mean she has high blood pressure but that's all, that's all that I know of. Okay. Yeah, I, I know that their house is for sale and they are moving and she is leaving our company but that's supposed to be Friday and this definitely is not like her just not to show up. anything changes before then, just give us a call back here, okay? At the same number? Yes, ma'am. Okay, great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. After that, did you make a second call? I did. And uh, can you tell the uh, jurors about that?
4: Um, I had realized that nobody had called me, still could not get a hold of uh, Lisa or, or Joel. So I called back to see what they had found with the welfare check. And um, I was told that everything seemed to be fine, that nothing looked out of the place. And so they they didn't do anything further. I asked them to please go back because I knew that um, something was not right. She had plans with other co-workers today or that day. And I. Um, that she would not have canceled or just blown them off, she would have. She would have at least called. So I asked them to go back. And
1: what is the next thing you heard in
4: response to your request? Um, I was told that they would talk to a detective to see what they thought, and they would get back with me.
1: And what happened next?
4: It was probably 20 to 30 minutes later, I think, um, that I got a phone call from a detective wanting to ask me more questions about Lisa and, and what I what I knew, but I did not know that anything in particular had happened.
3: Was there something special planned
1: that day
4: for Lisa? There was a, a lunch that she was going to have with um, some other coworkers for her retirement. Uh, when did you hear what had happened? Uh, at, in their home? Yes. What had happened in their home? Um, I had heard that there were um, bodies found Monday evening, so that evening.
1: that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: The first responding officer testified that he initially went to the home, knocked on the front door, rang the doorbell, and whistled for the dog. He returned to the front door, rang the doorbell again, and knocked, but did not peer in the windows because this was an officer safety concern. He left the area but returned a few hours later when a detective from the department said he had more information. He met the detective there and they canvassed the neighborhood to see if anyone had seen anything. The detective entered the backyard and approached the back door. He noticed that the doorknob was missing and so peered into the hole, noticing what appeared to be signs of a struggle. As mentioned previously, officers made entry through the garage and made their horrific discoveries. Officers testified that the heat increased as they went up the stairs. One officer testified that his forehead tingled from the chemicals that permeated the air. He said when he found the severed hands, one was open, lying palm up, and the other was behind it in a fist. He could hear the dog barking in one of the upstairs rooms but did not let the dog out. Michelle said she found out about her parents' deaths late in the afternoon of November 28th. She had texted her parents over the weekend, but they had never responded. She called her sister on the way to work to ask if they were mad at her because it was odd for them not to respond to her texts. She tried to call her parents again, and it went straight to voicemail. Around 2 o'clock p.m. that day, Lisa's boss had contacted Michelle via Facebook and said she needed to call Detective McCord. He asked to meet her at the Harley-Davidson store, which is where he delivered the news. He told her the bodies were not identifiable, but did not get into specifics. Michelle said to cover their faces because they both had the 1980s written all over them, especially with their hair, and so could be identified that way. Michelle was executor of her father's estate, and she became aware of some financial transactions after their deaths. There were some large sums of money taken out of Mike's accounts, one to LSU for tuition and another around $10,000 to Joel's apartment complex. Because the transactions occurred after Mike's death, they were considered theft and they were able to get a refund from LSU and some other vendors. The apartment complex refused to refund the money. Michelle testified that Joel was never outgoing and friendly, but at Thanksgiving he interacted with her three sons, even giving them some of his old toys that Lisa had saved. Michelle thought it was weird and kept going upstairs to check on her boys. She also noticed blue tubs in the back of Joel's car when she pulled in. Additional evidence surfaced that showed Joel beginning to plan the murders as far back as November 7, 2016. He began purchasing chemicals, knives, plastic sheeting, plastic totes, and other items from various stores. During the trial, Joel showed little emotion, even when they displayed body cam footage of the home or when discussing his mother's head in a stockpot. Joel's trial was the first major trial to happen in Knox County in 2020 after the COVID pandemic began. There were social distancing guidelines in place as well as a need for masks. Judge Sword explained that everyone there was an adult and he did not have time to police whether or not they were wearing masks or if they were sitting too close to someone. After a week, the trial ended, and the jury found Joel guilty on multiple counts. He was found guilty on two counts of premeditated murder, three counts of felony murder, and two counts of abuse of a corpse. Judge Sward sentenced him to life in prison, but another sentencing hearing is scheduled for November 19, 2020, to determine if the sentences will be served concurrently or consecutively. The Attorney General of Tennessee said she was recommending they be served consecutively, so life without the possibility of parole.
0: But at this time, Mr. Guy, I'm going to ask you to please stand. Joel Michael Guy and Doc number 110145, after being tried by a jury of uh, the first degree premeditated murder of Joel Michael Guy, the court now sentenced you to life in prison in the Tennessee Department of Corrections. Count number two, after being found guilty by jury or peers of the first-degree premeditated murder of Lisa Guy, I now enter sentence of life in prison uh, in the Tennessee Department of Corrections. Count number three is the first-degree felony murder during the perpetration of first-degree premeditated murder of Lisa Guy. The court now sends you to life in prison uh, in that count uh, to run – or to merge into count number two. Count number four is uh, first-degree felony murder during the perpetration of theft of Joel Guy, Sr. The court sends you to life in prison in Tennessee Department of Corrections. That will merge into count number one. Count number five is the first-degree felony murder during the perpetration of theft of Lisa Guy. The court sends you to life in prison. That will merge with count number two. That would be the court sentence. Court stands adjourned.
2: The defense tried to suppress the victim impact statements, but Judge Sword... Schwartz- allowed the victims to give a statement, just cautioning them against directing any negative statements to Joel. The first one to read an impact statement was Lisa's oldest brother, Alvin madiri Jr., who explained their mother was hospitalized after Lisa's death. She passed away the day after Mike and Lisa's funeral, having truly died of a broken heart. She never left the hospital. The loss of her child was difficult for her. One that I hope I never have to endure but to find out your daughter was murdered by your own grandchild was heartbreaking. During Alvin's statement, Joel seemed to ask for something, eventually being handed a small bottle of water. Mike's sister, Robin White, said Lisa was like her sister. She called the murders heartless and selfish. She said the night she heard about the murder, she knew who had done it. She said, we did a lot together. I miss them. I'll never get that back. I'll never have my brother with me again. Justice has prevailed today. Thank you to everyone here today. Thank you, Your Honor. Shandy Sphink, Mike's daughter, said she did not have a statement prepared and was just speaking from the heart. She apologized to the court officials and the jury that they had to see such horrific images. Then she said, They were larger than life. They were so happy and such really good people. And they loved him. They loved him so much. They loved all of us, and for anyone to do what he did, I don't understand it. Angela, Michelle's twin, said her dad was her best friend. She went on, And I'll never get to hear his laugh again or feel his incredible hugs. I'll never get to sit and banter with him and hear the same stories we've all heard over and over. But they're still just as hilarious because dad was such a storyteller. Michelle said she considered all the people of the court heroes for all they had done. She said she would never be able to forgive Joel because he had taken childhood away from her children. Michelle said she mourned her father but raged for Lisa as a mother because Lisa was such a good mother and loved Joel so much. She knew it had broken Lisa's heart when she realized her own son was about to kill her. She said she wanted to be just like Lisa when she was growing up. Judge Sore told each of the family members he was sorry for their loss and explained as a human he was sympathetic. As a judge, he had to ignore the emotion to do his job effectively. He said the family had expressed faith as a way to get through this ordeal, so he referred them to Romans 5.20. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on most social media channels, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast, Instagram at True Crime Fan Club Pod, and of course, our website is True Crime Fan If you have an episode request, send us an email tcfcpod at gmail dot com. This episode was researched and written by Susie Saint John. Content editing by Brittany Martinez. Produced by the best in the business, Nico at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of or WeTalkOfDreams.com. dot com.